What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And so with that, uh, as a warning, sometimes we swear a little bit. Uh, But not that often. Just enough where I probably might not catch it as I'm editing. So, uh, this is labeled explicit, but it's, it's not that bad. You're a little kid in the backseat. Probably won't catch the bad words we say. Uh, we don't go out of our way to show off with bad language. But that's your warning. I usually laugh in the middle of it so that I've never heard you complete the word book boys. Because I can hear you go, book boys. You go, like, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> like hearing the S at the end and you just breathing. <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay. I am going to tap on the mic. Give it just a brief pause, and then uh, and then we'll just dive right in. Okay. Yeah, just as a, a quick aside before you do that. Yeah. You don't have to warn me. It's not that loud on my end, so you can just tap. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's blowing your ears out. I got... No, it's not. Yeah, no. I appreciate the... the it's very considerate of you, but it's not necessary. I mean, I understand that you put so much time into reading so quickly that you don't do things like research high-end audio headphones like I do, so... You know, all you have to do is just lick your lips and it's like glass breaking in my ears. It's just high definition. And so I I just assumed maybe as a man of taste, you'd also have some decent headphones, but I guess you don't. You got crap Uh, headphones. Yeah, I got the crap headphones that... uh, That came from work with the mic on it? Yeah, yeah. So is that what you do? Like every day at work, you grab the microphone headset thing and just be like, I've got a podcast tonight, guys. Hope you don't need these. (laughs) You walk out. I I mean, it's at my desk. Nobody's going to... Who's going to be using my headset? I don't know. People that work overnight, I have no idea what happens in your office. We're going to start. Well, I mean, they're, they can't do any. I I take the laptop anyway, so. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. So, Ben, we have read chapters six through nine of The Golden Compass. And uh, overall, what do you think of these chapters? Uh, I found them exciting. For example, I found that uh, that unlike the first five, uh, things are happening, and it got a little more interesting. What's your hot take? Oh, are you finally interested in the book? Your short <laughs> attention span has finally it's been a, satisfied. It's no Harry Potter so far, but it's uh, <laughs> the only other young adult novels I've ever read in my life. But it's uh, it's 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 picking up. Things are happening. I'm not so fussy. How about you? Yeah. I, I, I agree. There, there was some action here, and then there was, uh, I think, one of the chapters in particular had just a lot of uh, answers to the questions that we've had as to some of the background elements as to what's going on here. And there was a pretty big revelation as to 
uh, Lyra's yeah. uh, don't say it upbringing. yet. There you go. Okay, <laughs> okay. upbringing is fine. Yeah. Well, then let's just dive into that. Uh, sure. After in our previous chapters, Lyra, uh, she is hanging out with Mrs. Coulter, who she. Yeah. Uh, which was bothering me only in the sense that she's this wild child uh, running the streets, crazy lady, part of these college kids wars and everything else, getting into trouble, scrapping and yelling, taking bungholes out of boats. And then suddenly she sees a fancy lady, Mrs. Coulter, and just like his head over heels wants to be around her. So like smitten with her, uh, we find out a reason why for that. So that actually makes me happy, but she does escape her because uh, her demon pan says uh, she's trying to coddle you and uh, and and you oh, go ahead well yeah and the big revelation was that mrs. Coulter was involved with the gobblers so that's why we ran away from her oh okay yeah I didn't remember that part I guess I don't know why yeah. I didn't but so that part wasn't yeah. clear to me at the time yeah I don't think either one of us remembered last time that we were recording for some reason which is concerning because that's a major plot element I think <laughs> that's, that's a good point so she takes off and she goes into hiding uh, and her escape wasn't very dramatic. That's kind of where I think I was getting a little fussed because I'm like, well, she's finally like there's something happening here. OK, so now the story's picking up. And then it was just like she kind of just walked out and it wasn't such a big deal. So that part kind of got to me. But she runs to London or she's already in London. She's just yeah. out on the streets looking for a place to hide. Uh, well, first she's looking for like a hot dog or something, I think, wasn't she? Yeah, she's looking for something to eat. And she yeah. did. Uh, after she's walking around and stuff, trying to figure out like, where are we going to hide? And, um, you know, where are we going to stay? Where are we going to sleep? She does. I, if I remember correctly, does go to a restaurant and she tries to get like a hot dog and this old man slides on up next to her and and pays for it. And she gets like a drink of some sort, like water or something. And he keeps trying to get her drunk. Didn't he have like gin or something? But he was like, here, why don't you take a little bit of this or his brandy or whatever. So, yeah, that guy was creepy. Uh, yeah, he was creepy. And then uh, she had a pretty fancy excuse on how to get this guy to go away. Do you remember that fancy excuse, Ben? Well, she told this gentleman that uh, she had to go see her dad, who is a murderer by trade. <laughs> <laughs> Which cracked me up because it was just so vague. It's like, uh, he's a he's a murderer and there's no nothing specific. Like, he's a hired yeah. killer. He's an assassin. Yeah. Just like, no, he's a, my dad's a murderer and he's coming. He looks real pissed. Yeah, his job is murderer. He's uh, finishing a murder right now, and <laughs> yes. I have to go see him because I have a change of clothes for him. Yeah, I know, because it's covered in blood. Or, didn't you say murder that? is a dirty occupation. We know <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but I think it shows, too, that Lyra is uh, quick-witted and knows how to uh, deal with people, I guess. True, that she's and a she can She can talk her way out of a situation. Right. She, uh, she, can, she thinks on her feet. God bless her. Uh, yeah. And then as her and Pan are walking down the street... Uh, after getting away from this guy, um, they start looking at doorways and other things that they could sleep in. And I believe she's looking through a window and seeing somebody in their home uh, doing something, reading, I think. And then Pan says, oh, should we should we knock on the window and try to get its attention? Maybe we can, like, stay there or something? I don't know. What, but that was... But then all of a sudden... Well, they went... Oh, yeah, they ahead. went down kind of by the river, I think, to the docks. And there was a... a hut there i think or whatever little house for whoever is oh okay the night watchman or some or maybe someone who lives and works there but yeah they were down by the docks weren't they uh i think you're probably right that part i probably just glossed over for whatever reason um i just remember all the stuff going on with the guy trying to get her drunk i'm like well this is a little pervy this isn't a very uh 
a very uh, not a, the most kid friendly portion of the story, but it also gets not very kid friendly later. Or you could say it's way too kid friendly. <laughs> that man is inappropriately friendly to the kids. <laughs> kid focused, a little a little too kid focused. Yeah. Uh, but a group of gentlemen uh, jump out with nets. Well, two. Are we calling two people a group? <laughs> I thought there was like three or four, but I guess not. I think there were two. I'm going to be pedantic and say that two is not a group. These are the details that matter. You know, and the other thing is I keep defaulting to you as being right because you brag about how well-read you are or how quickly you read. And maybe the, the quick reading of yours is to your detriment where you're you're skimming a little too much. Maybe I'm right. Maybe it's more like three or four. We could certainly look it up some other time. What do you think I'm doing right now? (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Look it up. Oh, uh, I don't know if you have the same page numbers on your audio book that I do in my physical book. Oh, Uh, I don't know. I do have His Dark Materials, the full collection. What page number would that be, Ben? Can you rewind to page 102 on your audio book? It's a physical book, Ben. It's a physical book of pages that I'm doing right now. What's the page number, Ben? Page 102. Okay, let's just go to 102. And then saw them at the same time as he did. Two men running at her, one from each side, the nearer holding a throwing net. Nope, uh, not finding the same page at all. But Okay, fine. So, too, you're so proud of yourself. I also love how you read that as if it's like a biblical passage. Trying to enunciate when I have a, a point to make, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then Egyptians jump out of nowhere and kill them. The the <laughs> the two men with the net, yeah, they uh, yep. get shot through the necks with arrows. I think is what happened, and yep, they're and, dead. And then the Egyptians scoop and, that little girl up. Oh, go on. Well, I was gonna say one of the one of the things that we found out when the uh, two uh, net armed attackers die, their demons died with them, and they kind of disappeared into a puff of smoke kind of they just oh i missed that part i don't know how i miss things i mean <laughs> to be honest half of this is it's during the day and i'm working and i like okay. I, I gotta catch up and so i'm listening to the audiobook and okay. then i sit down and read more for a while and then i listen to the, so i'm bouncing back and forth so apparently i'm missing stuff during the audiobook portions that's not interesting uh, well, I mean, these <laughs> demons are mysterious creatures, and that's a little... Because when we were talking about before, when Lyra was down underground in the crypts, and there was these coins with yeah. the that represented the demons, but I don't know if there's any question as to whether or not those coins were actually the demons, or is that just a... A symbolic thing. I was wondering yeah, the same, and, because well, they, I, they, like moving the coins around to upset the old masters or whatever. So they came back to her as like a nightmare. Um, so I thought those, those coins were more than just symbolic, but apparently when these guys got killed, there no coins just suddenly dropped on the ground. They just, the demons disappeared. So maybe you got to be wealthy to have your demons turn into coins when they die. Could be, but the Egyptians scoop her up and they protect her. Uh, they get her on the boats and uh, I may have skipped over, hope, hopefully not, some important things, but I jump straight to that she learns about her parents 
Uh, was there anything before her learning? Because the learning about the parents is the juiciest part. I don't want to dive straight into it yet. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think that that is. So, yeah, that was the end of that chapter was um, the Egyptians taking Lyra to their village. Oh, okay. And well, so- first, first to the boat, um, and then, yeah, they go through... Like this big swampy area called the Fens, I guess, and that's where there's a Egyptian settlement. Right. Why do you think they live in swamps? They just love water so much that even when they're on land, they have to be still soaking in water. I think it's just it's just where they're from. I mean, why do any peoples live where they do? I mean, there's this. <laughs> that's, well, I mean, that's where this group of people is from, and. I love that the, you would make a really good voiceover for any National Geographic, like, you know, study on, like, the Middle East and the cultures that live, you know, in the different areas in the Middle East. And you just just be you saying, ah, who knows why they did that thing they just did or why they live where they live. Say, uh, la vie. Well, anyways, Ben, do you want to talk about <laughs> do you want to talk about uh, the parents? Because that's the juiciest bit. Yeah, I mean, we learn a lot about Lyra, her background, and her parents. And when when the uh, when she was rescued from those attackers, it was kind of clear that the Egyptians had a special interest in her, right? And were kind of watching over her. They said they've been watching. And we find out from John Fa, the <laughs> king of the Egyptians. It's Fa with two A's. Uh, the, he's the king of the Egyptians, and he uh, and this really old guy named Farger Coram mm-hmm. are telling Lyra about her background. And it turns out uh, her uncle, uh, Lord Azriel, that we met early on in the book, is actually her father. Mm-hmm. And her mother uh, was Mrs. Coulter. Uh-huh. And uh, Lyra is the result of uh, an illicit affair between the two, because when Mrs. Coulter gave birth to Lyra, uh, she was married to a different guy, not Lord Ezreal. Yeah, Edward Coulter, I guess. And what happened to Edward Coulter, Ben? Well, Lord Ezreal shot him in the head. Because <laughs> there was a duel. He found out, that kid doesn't look like me, and uh, and put two and two together that it was Lord Ezreal. So didn't he like call him to a duel? And well, I, I don't think it was quite that. So I think Mrs. Didn't they say Mrs. Coulter, when she gave birth, realized that this wasn't going to pass as her husband's kid. But she, I thought she convinced her husband. I guess I don't remember the deed. You're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, for some reason, Edward realized that it wasn't his daughter. And so then he figured out for, I don't know if it's worth looking that up, but flew into a rage and uh, challenged him to a duel with his own set of guns. And uh, Lord Asriel shot him in the head with his own gun. And then Mrs. Coulter got, like, fussed and didn't want to have anything to do with the kid or uh, Lord Asriel. So... She was going to, I don't know what she was planning on doing with the kid, but he decided to protect the child that he would scoop her up and put her into Jordan college. So let's back up a little bit because I think we're missing the crucial point here of why the Egyptians are so interested in Lyra. 
And uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I thought it was because he had, uh, since Lord Azrael had helped the Egyptians during a great flood where he put his own life at risk, saving other people's lives or other Egyptians lives. Yeah. The great flood of 53. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of one of those Lord of the Rings style factoids. That's like, okay. it's history without depth for me. And I was just like the great flood of 53. All right. But he earned their favor. And so then when he put Lyra into Jordan college, he had Egyptian hired to just kind of watch over her and report back to him how she's doing and make sure she's safe. Okay, so you really skimmed a lot of this and weren't paying attention. <laughs> okay, what did I miss? Okay, so let's back up. When Lyra was born, like I said, Mrs. Coulter saw her and realized that she wasn't going to pass as her husband's child. So she um, told everyone that the child had died during birth. Mm. So she she hit the fact that Lyra was actually born, <laughs> uh, and uh, so they took her to Oxford, where Jordan College is, mm-hmm. and they put Lyra in the care of Egyptian woman to like nurse her and everything from when she was you know a newborn. Okay. So that's why the Egyptians are so interesting because she's kind of one of them. I mean, she was raised with them. Um, and it turns out that the woman, we find this out, I think, a chapter or two later, but the woman who actually nursed Lyra is the mother of that one who was taken by the gobblers a couple of chapters ago. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's this connection there, which was because when <clears throat> Lyra was rescued from the the guys with the nets, they went onto her boat, that woman's boat, and Lyra was all afraid that this woman was going to be still angry with her for trying to sink her boat before. Yeah, right. When, when the kids were playing rough. Um, <laughs> but what she didn't know at the time was that this woman has actually, you know, she was kind of like a second mother to her when she was a newborn and has, you know, feels a pretty close connection to her. So Right. And we found out that they knew all about the boat but they just decided to let it slide. So she keeps running or she's running into them twice now and hope that they just don't remember. Uh, yeah. but they knew and they chose not to follow through on it. Well, and they, they, they actually thought it was funny. The Egyptians have a sense of humor, I think. And they, <laughs> they were kind of making fun of the, uh, the older son in this family for letting a 10 year old girl set their boat adrift and like, Oh yeah. Saying right. he, he should have been guarding it a little bit better. <laughs> Well, then we also found out the one thing that settled it for me was why did the schoolmaster, or settled an issue for me, was why did the schoolmaster try to poison Lord Asriel, but then also was trying to come off as a nice guy, where he's like, well, I'm doing it for the greater good. And it, it wasn't like he was trying to poison him out of some sort of spite or dislike or you're a heretic or anything along those lines for showing the pictures. Uh, it's because... Uh, I forget. It wasn't Farter, but um, was it Fa? Who's telling John Fa? John Fa. He was telling her this story, and he was speculating that uh, Mrs. Coulter has some kind of spell over the schoolmaster, or some kind of magical influence, which is why she would try to have Azriel uh, poisoned and other things to get him out of the way, so she can get her hands on her daughter. Am I right about that, Ben? Are you, I don't. I guess I'm, maybe I, I skimmed over that part too quickly. Oh, well, look at that. It looks like oh, look at people that. are skimming, skimming as well. 
Uh, Did you skim over the part where Azrael is currently in bear prison, Ben? I knew (laughs) the bears were going to be a topic of discussion. So I'm I'm still... I don't think the bears are going to college or university right now. Um, <laughs> but these bears, they apparently have uh, man hands, right? And they make their own armor. Yep. So, because I know they'd referred to them as armored bears before, but yep. I just thought that meant that people were putting armor on their bears that they rode around. But so are these bears more sentient than the average bear? I, as far as I'm concerned, it, they are. It, so it's still outlandish that these bears would be going to university though. Okay. Well, okay. Think about, think about it on this kind of lines. That, that comment's going to come back to bite me, isn't it? I think it is going to, I'm pretty, I have not like looked ahead or anything, but I'm pretty convinced we're going to talk. We're going to find out all about this bear college with studious bears. Uh, if you think about this kind of logic, you either have a situation where you have a jail run by humans where they just release bears through the halls as a way of guarding the prisoners to keep them from escaping. Or you, if this is a magical world where magic happens, you have a prison that is run by bears that are intelligent enough to know their day shift versus night shift. Yeah. Or if bear Phil is, you know, taking a little extra cigarettes from one of the uh, inmates uh, for favors. I'm thinking it's the latter. I think we I have mean, intelligent I- bears. Yeah, I have to admit that's kind of what it feels like now because these bears apparently have opposable thumbs and they know how to make armor. So crafted they, their finest armor, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I stand corrected on that one. Yep, I think uh, I think we're gonna find out all about this, and I hope that when they do talk about Bear College, it's like five chapters that you just have to plow through, <laughs> <laughs> just so that. And then uh, Mrs. Coulter, uh, she uh, the reason why she tried to poison. Azrael versus, uh, uh, you know, just steal the child outright. It's because she was trying to make him sort of disappear in a, in a in a way that didn't seem suspicious. But now that he's in bear prison, she's just scooping up the kid right out of the uh, out of Jordan College, since she's already got influence over the schoolmaster who allowed it to happen, even though he seemed reluctant when he was like talking to her and gave her the the golden compass. So it's all falling into place. So now it's not so annoying to me. Now suddenly I think it's interesting. Yeah, I'm still. I, I want to catch oh. this passage where she was poisoning or she has them under a spell. I am not making that up. I, I mean, she was influential. I thought, but just in the, yeah, well, you're Mr. Speed reader. You can look it up in whatever chapter it would be in. This is kind of off yeah. the record now, but yeah. So John Fye was telling her, but what the master was a doing, letting you go is a mystery. I can't explain. Uh, he was charged with your care. All I can guess is that she had some power over him. Well, that's what I was. So you at. took that to, to be magic. I suppose she has some power oh. over him that he's, you know, well, acting okay. out of his own interests. I guess like I'm asking this as seriously as I can to the expert here who's read all the Harry Potter books. Should I assume that that does mean magic and not just like psychological power or maybe some sort of compromising or political power? Cause she seems to be part of this, you know, powerful shadowy organization that's gobblers. That's okay. It could be political power. It's power. But I, I don't have, nearly as much exposure to YA novels that you do. So maybe it's magic. <laughs> he, and I pick up that. And that's why we're a good team here. 
Because <laughs> I have the deep experience with YA novels. Yeah, and I have the deep experience with everything else. <laughs> God damn it. He, she's got a power over him. Fine, it doesn't have to be magic, but he's acting out of his own promise to care for this kid and protect her and stuff. Uh, and I think that he didn't yeah. want to poison. He didn't seem like he wanted to poison Asriel. So I still think she has a power over him. We're reading a book that involves magical bears and demons. I wouldn't be surprised if she had some sort of magic. And again, maybe if I'd had experience with the Harry Potter world that you do, I would have known that these bears actually were going to university and that they weren't just regular. <laughs> I love that you're fully on board at the bears going to university uh, when I could still be wrong. We could get to the end and find out that, oh, it was a joke. But I think it's clear I was whatever the specific outcome of Bear University is. I, <laughs> regardless of that, I have greatly underestimated these bears because I didn't think they had people hands and were crafting their <laughs> armor. So, all right, fine. Burp. Egyptians decide to go get them stolen kids. Uh, specifically, Farder Korham is he like the leader? Because it's kind of like well, he's John. John Fah is the king. Oh, okay. Because suddenly Farter is doing a lot of the talking he's, in big uh, decisions. Yeah, I think he's a very wise old man. Um, but so, I, I think he's the more learned one. Mm-hmm. And John Fah is just more of the natural leader, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> then what would Raymond be? Because Raymond, I only call this, this is totally a small detail, but I just like actually kind of cracked up as I was reading it because there's suddenly a guy named Raymond like out of all these fancy names and uh, he's sort of a jerk he only wants to get just the Egyptian kids and let the other kids stay and then they have to kind of scold him and talk about you know doing the right thing but I love that the one naysayer is just a jerk named Raymond and you never hear about him again after that as far as I was reading so that was that cracked me up they won't let Lyra come with at first but what changes their mind Ben? Well, and then I was, I was, uh, I made a note about that. They weren't going to let her come with. Obviously, she wants to. So my note was like, she's obviously going with somehow. Is she going to hide in the ship? Right. Um, but then, the, like right away, she specifically said that's not feasible because she can't hide, and they have their small boats before they get to the big ship that they're taking north. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she, they're going to bring her north because. Um, she has the alethiometer, mm-hmm. which she tells them about, and um, she is trying to figure out how to use that thing. And there's an incident where the uh, Egyptians sent some spies into London, or the right. spies just went on their own accord. Mm-hmm. And Lyra was kind of asking the alethiometer about this one spy, what he was up to, and she kept getting like the skull and crossbones of like the death symbol was coming back is what the compass was telling her. Right. And like right at that moment, somebody burst into the room and said that there's been a problem. Like there's four people that went there. One of them's, one of them's dead. One of them's dying. The dying guy said that the other one was dead too. And so that convinced the, uh, Farter Corum and John Fah that Lyra would be useful to have on this trip. So, they're going to take her with now. So these spies, and I think I got confused in this part, are these spies the same group that wound up capturing a gobbler? And that was the one surviving guy whose demon was speaking for him? 
that like he's like got an arrow in yeah. his arm or something, and the demon was doing all the talking for him, explaining yeah, like, these other he, guys. Yeah, he, he was dying, and then yeah, he eventually started talking through his demon. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what happened there. Uh, that was the arrow was in his chest, I think. Oh. Arm. Fine. Again, correcting me. I learned some things just from that little uh, scene alone. First, no one ever touches another man's demon, which I no. thought was weird. Uh, Don't think about that. The demons even, will touch each other like, all the time. Yeah, but even if it's your most mortal enemy, you don't touch their demon. <laughs> that, yeah, they were talking about like even in like the heat of like a a giant battle, the warriors yeah. won't you know strike each other's demons. And also, it's rare to have your demon be the same sex as you, but it does happen. Yeah. So I, yep, I know that too. Yeah, I mean, I know that too. So yeah. Oh, I also forgot to mention that. Uh, Way back when we were talking about uh, Asriel and Coulter having an affair, I underlined it and said, not very Harry Potter at all. So, there you go. They're already This book is already deviating from the uh, incredibly children-friendly format. Two weeks go by. All right, I'll take your word on that one. <laughs> well, those kind of details about how they had an affair would be something that J.K. Rowling would let slip years and years and years later <laughs> through a, like a tweet. Oh, well, did you know that she was born from these two people? And they want to be like, oh, my gosh. Uh, they were having a threesome, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the two weeks go by as they're preparing for their big trip. And uh, a mechanical fly tries to spy on them and they catch it. There's two of them. One escaped. The other one they caught in a box. But that this mechanical fly basically can't be killed. And if you do something like put it in an iron box and drop it at the bottom of the ocean, eventually the iron, they were saying the eventually the iron box would rot and then the fly would get out and come straight for you, no matter how old you are or go for your family. Cause it'll be angry. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like a big mechanical bug powered yeah. by like a spirit. Yeah. So it's, that, so they that's have, magic. They're, they're, yeah, that's magic. So they're using that, as a, a type of like science almost. But then when it came down to when Lyra was talking about the golden compass, her demon pan, they were both speculating like, well, what makes this work? So Lyra was like, maybe there's a spirit in here that turns the dials and tells you what's going on. But then pan was saying that it's some sort of particle, not particles, but pan. Yeah. Was, he said element three particles. Oh, did he? Okay. And so there's, yeah, there's, I, I didn't know that. Too. There's actually like, uh, like an actual process about how they make these devices, like an actual science behind their spirituality when they're doing it. So that's a weird aspect. Uh, well, we kind of knew that though, because it was, it was, they talked about the college being for practical theology. So I think that's what <clears throat> this stuff is using spirit to power machines. Yeah. So I guess I'd, I'd like to learn more as the book goes on about, they have the very like solid rock solid belief that there's only a heaven, earth and hell but then there's you can actually use spirits. So spirits don't really play into the heaven and hell thing, I don't imagine. But and even having demons flying around following you kind of goes outside of the classic sort of Christian or, you know, Abrahamic whatever religion. <clears throat> that it's it's kind of like a little bit of a, a mishmash right now of like the solid belief in your sort of classic uh, religious views and then also sort of like just kind of messy magic where there's like a spirit in the flies but not in the compass and so I want to learn more about that I'm kind of hoping that they flesh this out I have every confidence that they will well 
You also had every confidence that there was no way that bears could be well, in college. So. And I have only limited confidence that if they do spell this out, that you'll catch it. <laughs> so they hit the ocean. And that's pretty much where the last chapter ends. The well, yeah, they, they uh, so they, they hatched this plan, the Egyptians do, to go north to rescue all the kids that the gobblers have taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to take their small, the Egyptians have their smaller, like, canal boats or whatever that, that they got to take to the coast where they've rented a big ship that they're going to take north. And they have, what was it, like 180 men or something going I don't exactly remember. I think it was about that. I know that women, um, for the most part, weren't invited because they said the ship wasn't big enough to house women and men. Yeah. So I 180, I guess. Okay. I think that's what I, I want to say 179, actually, but I was rounding. <laughs> <laughs> See, you uh, just begged me to try to prove you wrong about these weird little details, but so far I, you've been right, so I guess I can't. I gave you every opportunity to just agree with me on that one. <laughs> well, I started to doubt because I have been agreeing with you on all these details up until just recently when it came to the two versus four net carrying men. And, uh, but you won that one. So now I'm a little sheepish. I don't want to dive right into it. Wait, this isn't a competition. Okay. There doesn't have to be winners and losers here. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to see if there's any way I can email the author of this book to get like a good overview or good details that there's no way you're going to catch just so I can outdo you. Again, not a competition. I don't know why you, well, I was just going to say that's where we left. That's where part one ends is, uh, them getting on the big boat and sailing away from the coast and England vanishes behind in the mist. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of, uh, book one. Any thoughts on these chapters, Ben? Um, well, they did. I, I touched on this before that this uh, books, I understand, have uh, received some criticism for being critical of religion mm-hmm. or organized religion. And they, I think, definitely hit on some of that. They, there was a passage um, where I think it was John Fah was talking about the church is getting more commanding and they're even thinking about uh, starting back up the office of inquisition, which from the context we're supposed to infer is not a good development. Right. 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 Um, And, and so I was wondering too, like looking at to the HBO adaptation, um, if they're going to try and parallel that to anything that's going on in current events. And I, I get the feeling just given that it's, the HBO and BBC co-production that it's going to be a dark adaptation. Wouldn't you expect it to be kind of dark? I would think so. Only, well, just for pretty knee-jerk, like top-level kind of understanding of how HBO and their success is, that you take the previous movie of The Golden Compass and it didn't do well. I've never seen it, but just from like the you know, previews and stuff. It's very, should we watch it? Maybe we should, we should maybe like after after we finish this first book, we should probably watch this movie just so we understand what the, the the problem would be with it. Cause you said that your coworker said it was fine or is it, it was an okay movie, right? 
Yeah, I think he he uh, said that if I watched it, I would be disappointed that they didn't finish the trilogy. Really? Yeah, that's what he said. Which is a strong statement. I just I glanced at the reviews for it after, and like its meta score for whatever that's worth was average. Oh, okay. Yeah, we should definitely watch it. Yeah, but my take place or mine? The uh, oh, my place. I have a big, beautiful television. Then I've got a great, fantastic surround system. I don't have neighbors. So we can, you know, be loud. What do you, 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 have neighbors. you don't live out in the country. I don't have neighbors touching my walls like you do. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. As a man that doesn't own property, you wouldn't understand what it's Boy. like to. We're book boys, not book men. <laughs> but in those movies, it was, it was more uh, visually very like friendly. And I would say uh, appealing to children, not like in a cartoonish way, but not so like not as opposed to like game of thrones where nothing visually is appealing to children and it's very dark and uh just very gritty i guess uh and i would imagine that they would probably try to take this adaptation of the you know the first book and both visually and stylistically get it far away from the previous movie and also game of thrones was so successful maybe they would try to game of thronesify this is kind of my guess that's just my top level kind of understanding about it who yeah, knows? I think so too. And I think, despite the fact that we're reading it 24 years after it came out, like a lot of people probably read it when it was new, and they're going to be, you know, in their 30s now watching the HBO mm-hmm. adaptation. So they don't necessarily want the children's movie. They they're going to want a more grown up telling of it. I think. Yeah, sure. Like a deep because there's so far just in the nine chapters we've read, yeah. there are details in there that. Like, you know, obviously I've skimmed over in my various media formats that I've ever been approaching this book. You've made that very obvious, yes. <laughs> but uh, I think that there's probably a lot of details in there that might kind of get fleshed out a little bit, especially if they're talking with the author. And the author gets a chance to do his own J.K. Rowling Twitter account kind of thing where he's like, well, you know, this one part you found interesting. I always thought and flesh it out even more. So fantastic episode. Ben, you knocked it out of the park again. Real proud of you. Couldn't have done it without you. Leading the way. way. I just follow in your footsteps. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. So next up, we're going to read book two, chapters 10 through what? Let's do 10 through 13. Oh, boy. Three chapters? Okay. Uh, That's four chapters. Whoops. 10, 11, 12, and 13. I'm going to have to edit that part out. Okay, so we're going to have the next four chapters. <laughs> is, that, is that right? And then, because there's eight chapters in part two, so... Oh, okay. Just split it up in two chunks of four. Okay, that sounds good, my friend. And All then, right. uh, And then we will reconvene later. Yeah. Um, when? <laughs> okay, like, that's yeah, where it I'm stops. Sure. Nope, I just turned... Okay, that's where we're stopping. All right. I like that the the last words are going to be, okay, when? And there you have chapters 6 through 9 of The Golden Compass, as reviewed to you by the book boys. Feel free to listen again as we read more chapters and argue over petty details. <laughs>